study God's Word. You'll be helped if you have a Bible in front of you um, or on your phone or listen along if you don't. Uh, just to say, um, it's lovely to see so many of you this morning and to have visitors and new people come to the church. It's, it's such a thrill um, and to have old friends back. Uh, I do want to call out uh, Ado and Deborah. Uh, so Ado is Nisi's sister. Just a wave there, Ado. Okay, she looks very like Nisi, um, which is a good thing. Um, but um, she is going back this week, and Deborah is going back this week, and it has been lovely to have you, and we hope we'll see you soon again, because it has been great to have you. And you've had a good time here, I hope, seeing your new nephew and all that. We're setting a heart because we sit under God's word, and we seek for God to clarify his word to us, to strengthen us through his word. Normally what we do is we work through books of the Bible, but this evening or this morning is slightly different because what we're doing is we're sort of picking up a theme. And the theme this morning is how God uses suffering to make us more like Jesus. So I think we're going to need God's help. So let's pray. Father, sometimes people have given us false promises that the Christian life would be easy, that it would be walking from one victory to the next. But the truth is that we live in a broken world and we grow under the heat of many difficult circumstances. We even think this about young Emmett and we know that Andy and Shay already have experienced uh, trying things in their life that have caused them to cling to you. And help us, Lord, respond to adversity by choosing to go uh, down a road that leans on your promises and is transformed by your spirit. Amen. I suppose if I was to ask you one of the heroes of recent times, my generation, you might say Joni. You know, Joni Erickson Tada. Uh, if you don't know her, um, her story is that since she was about 17 years old, she was in a diving accident. She jumped into the water and hit her head off a rock. And she was rendered paraplegic. She then continued to trust God through much prayer and to learn and tell her story of how she trusted God in the midst of her pain. And a couple of months ago, I looked up a video on YouTube where Joni was talking about how she trusts God in her continued pain. You see, not only has Joni been rendered paraplegic, but she struggled with breast cancer, and now she lives with chronic pain. And in the video that I was watching, she said that in many ways, the suffering that she goes through in this life feel like little splashovers of hell into her world. And that got her thinking, what are the little splashovers of heaven into my world? 
And she said to her husband, Ken, I think the little splashovers from heaven into my world are not those days where I don't have pain or where life seems easy, but where I feel God in the midst of my pain to know that he's trustworthy, to depend on him, whatever the circumstances. Those are the touches of heaven in my world. This morning we're thinking about how suffering makes us more like Jesus. And the question I have for you this morning is, do you want to grow in hope? Do you want to grow in maturity? Do you want a a correct perspective on the world? Because if you do, much of that is going to depend on how you respond to adversity in your life. Am I drifting in and out a little bit on that? No, it's okay. So the first thing is that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. I love the Psalms of Lament. So the Psalms of Lament are about 50 Psalms in the book of Psalms, or more, and you'll see them because they're covered in raw honesty. My favorite is Psalm 13. Four times in two verses, or four verses I think it is, the psalmist David cries out, how long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He's frustrated with God, and he speaks to God with a raw honesty. Sometimes a raw honesty that we miss when we pray, because God, who knows us, invites us to be real with him. And the interesting thing about this psalm is it goes from that raw honesty to hope. And sometimes that happens as we pray. Sometimes we go to God in the midst of our pain, and we find at the end of it, of praying, there's a hope that comes. But the truth is, sometimes we don't. Psalm 88 is the darkest of all those psalms of lament, and the psalmist ends that psalm of lament by saying these haunting words, darkness is my closest friend. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe there have been times in your life where it has felt that there is no hope. And here are spiritual men of God praying to God with honesty and experiencing these feelings. But as you read the book of Psalms, one of the things that you hold on to is the fact that Jesus prayed these Psalms. You see, when I read the Old Testament, I'm always trying to think, how does this point forward to the person of Jesus? And when I read the book of Psalms, sometimes there are prophecies that point ahead to him. But one of the things I remember is that these are feelings that Jesus felt in his own life. He prayed these emotions, and he experienced these emotions as he lived in life for us. Think about the sort of things that Jesus experienced as a person living in a fallen world. You'll notice that when you read the Gospels, Joseph is rarely mentioned. And the the commentators suggest that that's probably because he was dead by the time Jesus began his public ministry. He knew what it was like to lose a loved one, his stepfather. He knew what it was like to have his family completely misunderstand him. 
He knew what it was like to feel alone, to be misunderstood. And ultimately, he knew what it was like to be betrayed by a crowd and have his flesh torn open by a whip. He knew what it was like not to be able to carry the beam of his cross. I remember talking to a friend. She was in a wheelchair. And she said, I hate the fact that I always have to depend on people. I try to convince her that actually our dependence on others can be a blessing to them. It can in some ways be a ministry to them as they get to minister to us. But I also tried to point her to the person of Jesus, unable to carry the beam of his cross. Totally weakened and dependent. Oh, you know, one of the great things about that scene is that if you were making the story up, you wouldn't put it in, would you? Like if I was making a story up about a hero, I would have them marching to the cross. But he experienced real agony in his human nature and real weakness. And, and that's why we go, according to the book of Hebrews, to a sympathetic high priest, one who understands our pain. And here's the thing, and I don't fully understand this verse, but in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, the perfect Son of God, Jesus, learns obedience by what he suffers. I don't fully understand that. How can the perfect Son of God learn obedience? But he did. He matured and grew in experience through suffering. And the question is, if God has a plan for you to mature and grow and become like Jesus, can you see that that plan is going to involve suffering? Uh, maybe you don't feel like this is good news. The second thing I want to say is that suffering is inevitable. Whether you submit to God's plan in your life, that will involve suffering to grow, becoming more like Jesus. It is inevitable. One of my favorite books written on this topic was by a guy called Don Carson. And Don says these rather difficult words. He says, if you're not suffering now, it is only a matter of time. We live in a world that is broken. I, I was thinking a lot about Romans chapter 8 where it says that creation itself cries out for the return of Jesus because it's broken. And we're a part of that creation. Our 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the apostle Paul is talking to a people who had a thing that's called an over-realized eschatology, which simply means that they thought that all the blessings that would come when Jesus returns were theirs for the having now so that they'd be spared suffering. And he talks about the human body in these terms, perishable and imperfect. We live in bodies that are perishing. They're getting old. We're all going to die. And we're going to die because our bodies are going to stop functioning, and we even get a taste of that now. And that's hard. And we're not spared the pain that we feel when those we love dies. I think of 1 Thessalonians, 
where you have those great words that says, we do not grieve as those who are without hope. But never forget that it does not say we do not grieve. We grieve as people with hope, but we do grieve. And there is something wrong when you go to someone who's suffering loss and they're not engaging with the pain. It's not actually helpful. And sometimes it's even harder than that. Sometimes we look at people who have passed on, whom we have loved, our friends who we care deeply about, and they reject Jesus. And like Jesus, we weep over Jerusalem. We cry out with him who said, all day long I held out my hand to a disobedient and rebellious people, and you weren't willing. Our God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they repent and live. But his heart breaks And our hearts break when we see our loved one sometimes pass on without any desire to be with Jesus. I think that's a unique Christian pain. And I think the only comfort that comes is a comfort that goes beyond understanding. There are lots of pains that we experience in life. There are lots of faithful people we know, our own friends, have gone through mental health struggles, health struggles, loss, all sorts of dreadful loss. And we're not immune from that as Christians. But God uses this for good. And that's why we have some of our readings. Remember the reading that we had earlier on, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, I remember the first time I spoke in James chapter 1, it was about, if you remember, how God were to consider it pure joy whenever we trace trials of many kinds. Why? Because God is going to use that to bring maturity into our life, to bring even hope into our life. But I looked down that Sunday morning, the first time I was preaching in that passage, and there was my friend who had just buried her father. And it felt awful to have to say, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. There is a time for these verses. And there's a a danger with any of these verses that you just fire them at someone. And you need to be very careful about that. Consider, for example, um, the verse in Romans chapter 8. Consider, what is it? God works all things for the good of those who love him. That's a verse that you got to use with real timing and real care. A friend of mine had a nervous breakdown and she was tired of the fact that people would just fire that verse at her. I actually became cynical about whether that truth was of any comfort. But then I realized later that the problem for my friend Elaine was not the truth of that verse. It was the fact that people were just firing verses at her rather than listening and engaging in her pain. And we have a God who engages in our pain, who understands our pain, who cares about our pain. And who sends his people like us to be there to comfort other people 
in what they're going through. That truth actually does help a lot. When I was going through a time of deep depression, myself and Caroline held on to a, a paraphrase of that verse by John Newton. John Newton said, everything that God sends must be needful and nothing that he withholds can be needful. Can, oh, nothing that he withholds can be needful. Oh, needful, needful. And that's Romans 8. God is in control. And we held on to that verse even though we felt no joy. It did help to know that God had a purpose in our suffering. But be careful at farting verses at each other. So one person told me that one of their favorite verses is from Romans chapter 5. And look at what God does through our pain. Because I've got to bring some good news into this sermon. But look at what Romans chapter 5 says. And, and see what God does. We glory in our suffering, verse 3, because suffering produces perseverance. How does it produce perseverance? Because you find that when you're suffering, there are times that you find yourself going back to God. And you find that God is holding you. I think of times where I've gone through doubt, and it only struck me recently that the pain and anguish that I'd gone through through some of my mental health struggles, it wasn't actually me holding on to God. It was God holding on to me. At the time, it felt like I was grasping for him, but actually, he held on to me. And that's the only reason that I kept going and why I still have faith. And while we find ourselves at times crushed, we find that as we go through that time, imperfectly as we do, that God is holding on to us and we get hope because God is going to keep on holding on to us. As we find that we're crushed and that God picks us up, we realize that the next time when we experience something like that, He is trustworthy to keep us going. Our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character. Have you ever met someone whose life just seems to be a breeze? And it doesn't seem like there's much depth to them. But there is depth in all people that as we go through suffering, we hold on to God. And character hope, that's that dynamic. That God got me through this before. He will continue keeping me until the day he brings me home. And then we've had James. But I was so glad when Siobhan got up and she read from 2 Corinthians. In fact, I was willing her to say that she was going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And she did. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, and, and this is really helpful. I was talking to a guy who's uh, in Belfast. He's going through a lot of mental anguish. And I said, when I started traveling through a journey of anxiety, the first time it happened to me, I went into Dublin as a student where I was studying. And I walked along the street, and there was a homeless person and because my life felt like it was falling apart, 
I found that I had more empathy and sympathy for him than I'd ever had before. I'm sure his life was far more difficult than mine. But don't you, you get when you struggle that it can make you more sympathetic to other people's struggles? Because you know something of the pain that they're going through. And this is something that God does through our pain. And listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and this is just a little bit before the reading, but it's, it's it, that Siobhan shared for us. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. And so you've gone through that place where you have suffered, but you have found something of God's comfort. And if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and your salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in us patient endurance of the same suffering. And our hope in you is firm because we know. Oh, let me just go back to verse 3 as well. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. So, what's the purpose of the comfort you receive when you go through troubles? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I'm getting close to the end. So here's the thing. It's inevitable you're going to suffer. I'm sorry. I I think sometimes people feel resentful against God because they've been told that the Christian life is just going to be easy. One victory, one comfort to the next. And then when pain comes in, they go, how can God have allowed this to happen to me? Because they don't realize that our God is a God who will grow us through the pain in life and create resilience within us. And God is a God who does bring us comfort. Remember those words of Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think that there is a hint of something that he went through so that we would never have to go through it. He felt God forsaken so that he could say to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes some of you have found that in the midst of your pain, your faith has been strongest. I've even met people who've written down and said that there's something that they miss about those times when they had to lean heavily on God. And God is a God who takes whatever we're going through and he's willing to use it to grow our hope, to create our character, to make us more like our Savior. And the final thing I want to say to you by way of conclusion, well, it's actually three little things. One is a quote. And the quote is from a book that really helped me. And this is what he said, a guy called Chris Capone writing about his depression. He says, pursuing maturity rather than happiness has changed the way I think about my life. It allows me find joy in all seasons.
Did you hear that? Pursuing maturity rather than happiness has changed the way I think about my life. It allows me find joy in all seasons. If your goal in life is to have it easy, you'll probably not find yourself very joyful. But if your joy in life is found in experiencing God in every situation, you'll find him. And then the second is from that great theologian, Michael Buble. (laughs) You see, I was watching... I was watching the Late Late Show. It was Ryan Tuberty's last show. I was at home with my parents. They were in bed. I put this on in the background, and I was amazed because I was thinking about these very topics. I don't know where Michael Bublé stands with the Lord, but he said something that made sense. He talked to Ryan about his own life. He talked about one of the things that he had to suffer I think it was illness, serious illness in the life of his child. And he said that that suffering had created within him a depth and character he had never had before, an experience of life that he had never experienced before. And he said it's like a fork in the road. And this is very scriptural, what he was saying. It's like a fork in the road. He says all of us are going to face suffering in life but it presents you with a fork in the road. He said, on one hand, you can become bitter, or on the other hand, you can mature. And we've seen it sometimes, where the fork in the road, we've chosen the wrong way, and we've become bitter and cynical, but we can become compassionate and gracious and people who depend on God more and people who are willing to learn from him and people who become kinder to other people, and people who see that God has presented us in this world of suffering and death to be his people, to be his compassion, to be his comfort. And then the other was for a much better, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, much better theologian. Caroline, for my 50th birthday, brought me to New York. And we went to church, do you remember? Uh, We went to Tim Keller's church. And Tim Keller, he's now gone on to be with the Lord, but he wasn't preaching. But there was a man preaching on Jeremiah. And he used this picture from Jeremiah. He says, the pain and all the hard things you're going to go through life are like heat. You know, you can't get rid of that heat. You live in that heat. But there are some plants that grow in that heat. And there are other plants that wither in that heat. And what's the difference? And he says it's the moisture in the soil and the depth of the roots. And that's a very scriptural picture. Psalm 1 says that, rooted in God's word. And what I want to challenge us this morning is that whatever heat is coming into your life, will there be moisture in that soil? Will the roots dig deep into him so that you look to Christ and hold on to his promises? Not false promises like those who tell you that the Christian life is going to be easy, but promises that Jesus will always be there and he'll never leave you nor forsake you and that he does have a purpose even though sometimes we don't see it. 
Will you moisten that soil during times of life that seem easier, where we're cultivating habits, godly habits, that develop our relationship with God so that when the heat is turned up, they cause us to grow rather than wither? Will we seek to be confident in his goodness? I'm so glad that Shay gave me that verse from 1 John. How do I know he's good? Look what he did for you. If Christ was willing to die for me on a cross, to feel God forsaken for you on a cross, to experience rejection, to come from the comfort of heaven into a world of pain and death, and if he's willing to do that, can you trust him? Can you trust him? And you will find as we lean heavily in God, often imperfectly, but as we lean heavy on him, we will grow, even in our pain. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us trust the one who felt forsaken so that we need never be. Help us trust the one who endured more pain than we ever will. Help us lean heavily on the person of your Holy Spirit, whose job is to magnify Jesus and change our hearts to make us like him. Help us be sensitive to each other. Help us to listen, to care. Help us to allow the experiences that we've gone through, not to make us arrogant or um, feel that we're better in resilience than other people, but to make us sympathetic, understanding, compassionate, mature, gracious, and help us value becoming more like Jesus than we value comfort. Amen.